0: The teaching this week comes from 1 Peter chapter 2. Hear the word of the Lord. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Sojourn.
1: Brandon here. Uh, We're we're in a series in the the, the book of First Peter. First Peter was written to a group of Christians uh, who either were or were about to be in the midst of suffering. And Peter writes about what he calls a living hope, a hope that is alive. And a text that we are looking at today is one of those passages in the Bible that if this were the 1700s and we did two-hour sermons, we simply would not be able to do justice to all that is in this text. And yet, th- this passage is one of those passages that has been uh, formative for us. It has animated us at sojourn. What, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this, that when, when we think about what, what kind of church do we want to be? What kind of lives do we want you to live? This is one of the first passages That comes to mind. You you may have guessed it when you saw the word sojourner in it. It has helped shape and form our vision as a church and our vision for you. And so while we will only be able to scratch the surface of this text, I I want us to get into it. I want us to see what it has to say about the kind of church that we want it to be and the kind of lives that we want you and hope you live. All right, let's get into it. Verse one. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. All right, now, now Peter gives this, this list, and it's an interesting list. Remember, he's writing to a group of Christians who either are in the midst of suffering or about to be in the midst of suffering. And he gives this um, l- list of vices, sins, that, 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 that I find really intriguing because it's, it's not the more obvious set. Right? It's not the kind of list... That that is obvious to spot and obvious to see. So, like, he doesn't say, "Hey, listen, stop stealing from one another," or like in First uh, Corinthians, "Hey, stop, you know, sleeping with your stepmom." Stop murdering one another. Like, surely you know not to murder one another. That's not what he says. He 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 gives a list, a list of sins, vices that are easy to hide, a set that are easy to hide, and it's those that are the ones that destroy communities. Why would he give this list? Because this community was about to be under the pressure of persecution. And communities under pressure tend to turn on one another, or they easily can. Which, which, to be honest, is not that different than us right now. Not that different than us right now as a church in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of the racial injustice and unrest that's happening in our country. Not that different than us right now, easy to turn on one another when you're a community under pressure. And so he gives this list and says, Hey, put away all these, uh, the, the, uh, put, put away this, this list of vices sins that are easy to hide. Get rid of them. But not stop there. Look at verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And so here he starts. Put off these these things that destroy the community. And then, here's what I want you to do. Uh, I, I want you to long for, crave the, that which grows the community up into salvation. And the word you there, it's the plural y'all. You is y'all. Grow up y'all into. I, I hope you found that as funny as I think it sounded. Uh, but, but you together grow up into salvation. What does that mean? The context of 1 Peter, I think he's speaking of when Christ returns crave the things that grow the church into full maturity on that day when you are face to face with Christ. The question becomes then, what 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 is it that grows the church into that kind of maturity? And, and Peter here calls it pure spiritual milk. Now, m- most modern commentators, and I think understandably so, they, they link this pure spiritual milk to the scriptures uh, because of a few other references in the Bible, uh, they they link it to uh, the the scriptures. But but Karen Jobs, she is a New Testament scholar, wonderful theologian. She she makes the case that that's a little too restrictive, uh, and I, I I think she's spot on. She makes a case for for a little wider view of what this pure spiritual milk is in reference to. Here's what she says: this wider view that that the imagery. Uh, is more than just the scriptures. Is appropriate to Peter's goal of redefining the reader's self-identity in light of the new reality into which they have come through the new birth. That's, that, that's referencing back to chapter one when Peter said, um, you, you've been born again into a living hope. So this wider view is appropriate to Peter's goal of redefining the reader's self-identity in light of the new reality into which they have come through the new birth. Hearing or reading the word of God is a vital part of this new life. But Christians have not truly ingested God's life transforming grace until they have put off attitudes and behaviors that are inconsistent with the new life, thereby instinctively, eagerly, incessantly craving the grace of God. I think she's spot on. Here's what she is saying, that of course you need the scriptures to grow. Of course you need the scriptures to grow, but you need to crave the grace of God that you have in Christ. You need to crave what it is you have through the new birth in Christ. The way that a baby craves their mother's milk, you need to crave this kind of grace. I think she's spot on. Let's keep reading uh, verse three. So that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. okay let me try to put together what Peter is saying right: Crave pure spiritual work if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, if indeed you have tasted his grace. And if you have tasted his grace, as you are coming to him, you are then being built up into a spiritual house to be a priesthood, to offer sacrifices. What in the world does this mean? This this language is a reference to the temple, the temple out of the Old Testament, saying you are being built together into a temple. And, And did you notice how he opened the sentence? You yourselves are being built into a temple. Now, now here's what's so incredibly significant about this. In this day, in the day that Peter was writing to, every, every culture, every culture. Now, today we have cultures who will deny this, but not in this day. In, In this day, every culture sensed that there was a gap between man and God. And to close that gap, you needed three things, temple, a priest, a sacrifice. A temple, a priest, and a sacrifice. And here's what Peter is saying, not anymore, not anymore. You, you, you don't need bricks, buildings made of brick anymore because the gap between God and humanity doesn't take place in a building anymore. It happens inside a community. That gap between man and God, it doesn't get closed inside a building anymore. It gets, gets closed inside a community saying, listen, if you want to find God, you don't go to a building anymore. You, you want to experience God. You don't simply go to a building anymore. You get into a community. You get into a people that the Christian community is the temple. You don't have to go to a building with bricks. You get into a community. And so if I could maybe give two quick points of application before we move on. One, one, while we are not able to, to meet right now in person on Sundays, as I'm pre-recording this sermon, you're watching it over YouTube live stream. Just because we're not able to meet together in a building does not mean you you don't have a community to belong to where you can come into and experience the presence of God. So what we we're saying, please press into your parishes. Lean into your parishes because it's inside those communities that you can taste and see and experience and know the presence of God. Because you don't have to go to a building, you get into a community. That's where you come into the temple. That's where you come into the presence of God. And then two, two, this language that Peter uses. This language is actually all throughout the Bible, but here. Tasted, coming to him, being built up. This is all experiential language. It's all experiential language. What, what's the point? Here's what I think the point is. The degree to which, the degree to which we experience the presence and the power of God among us will be the degree to which we put off what destroys community and we crave what builds it up. The degree to which we will experience or live as the temple, the place where the gap between God and humanity is closed where you come into and experience the presence of God. The degree to which we experience the presence of God will be the degree to which we put off what destroys community and crave what builds it up. That's our identity. This is our identity, church. The community where you experience the presence of God, the place where the gap between God and the world is closed. But but that community, built on a foundation. Let me me read verse six, six through eight. For it stands in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. Okay, we could do an entire Saturday seminar on these sets of verses right here. But the stone, when he says a stone, it's a reference to Jesus. And the cornerstone, it's the cornerstone of the temple. So what was a cornerstone? It was the central stone in uh, that, that all construction was built around the, 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 That construction was built around in modern language, it it might parallel the foundation of a house, that which everything is built up upon. And Peter is saying that the church, it is a new temple. It's the new temple. And this new temple, it has a cornerstone, but that cornerstone isn't just some massive brick. It's Jesus. It's a man. It's him. It's the one who came and was rejected and went to the cross and died for you. It's the one who was resurrected from the grave. It's why we can talk about living stones, stones that are, you know, stones don't live if you don't know. But Jesus, a living stone, you being built into living stones. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that we see Jesus as this living cornerstone that that the temple is built upon? Because all of us, all of us, Individually and as a community, we are going to build our lives on something. All of us have a cornerstone. The question is, what is it? No, no one goes through this life without having a foundation, without having a cornerstone that you build your life upon. The question is, what's yours? What's yours? Is it marriage, career, kids? Is it seeing racial, racial justice finally happen? Is it a vaccine for COVID? What's yours. Churches have cornerstones too. Communities like ours have cornerstones. Functional cornerstones. For some it's music, some it's preaching, some it's buildings or kids' ministries, some it's their community groups, some you know what we call parishes. Communities have cornerstones as well. And if Jesus is not the foundation and cornerstone of our community, really nothing else in this text matters. He must be and he must remain the foundation and the cornerstone of our community. So here's what Peter, I think, is saying, and if I could just sort of summarize it. Jesus will either be the foundation that you build your life on or a stone that you stumble over. So which one will it be? Which one will it be? Is he going to be the foundation that we build our community on, that you build your life on, or will he be the stone that you stumble over? You can believe and embrace or reject. The church is the community. You come into and experience the presence of God built on the foundation that is Jesus. And now Peter is going to say, you, you, this temple, you're meant to, to go out into the world, be an outward facing temple, if you will. Sent out for a purpose, and read verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So he begins right here with chosen race, that in Christ you have a lineage. And race isn't the, the, the best translation there, um, but you know, descendants lineage, That's not the sort of language that we use in English. But in Christ you have a chosen lineage, a royal priesthood, in, in Christ you have a redeemed status representing the king out in the world, taking the king out into the world a holy nation. As a community in Christ, we have laws, we have order and structure, but only those that lead to human flourishing. Once not a people, but now you are God's people. One, uh, one, one commentator, you put it this way, and I'm, I'm, I've, I've got to cite that because I just thought this phrase was too, too crisp for me to pass it off as my own. You would have known, all right? But Peter's using Old Testament language about Israel to show the church has a particular position in the world as God's redeemed people. But this position comes with a purpose. This position comes with a purpose to proclaim the excellencies of God. The question is how? Verse 11, beloved I urge you as sojourners, that's us, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when we speak against you, when they speak against you as evil doers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Good deeds, not, not just like moral behavior, but things that you do out in the world, how you live out in the world. That they might see your good deeds and glorify God. Look at the phrase aliens and sojourners. Interesting language there. A sojourner, it meant a, a resident foreigner. And an alien, it, it, it's someone who resided in a foreign place. And anyone who ha- has lived as a foreigner will tell you it takes a particular cultural sensitivity. And on one hand, on one hand when, you, when you're living as a foreigner, you don't, you don't want to just completely assimilate into... Uh, the new culture, because you're we're not just like the new culture. You have an identity that you bring into this culture, and on the other hand, you, you don't want to avoid your new culture either, right? Because you you live there, even though it's it's not your home. It's your home. And, and Peter is saying this is what it means to live as a Christian: that you don't simply assimilate into culture. That that we that we don't uncritically adopt the values of your home culture. And as Christians, we don't avoid culture either. we go to restaurants and to work and to our neighbors' homes, and we participate in society without adopting everything from society. This is incredibly difficult. It has always been difficult. And for, for the early church, uh, the early church, this is what it meant. Here's, here's a taste of what it meant for the early church. It meant that they were against abortion and infanticide. And in this day, it was considered perfectly legitimate that, that if you had a child you didn't want, particularly because they were female, uh, you, you could just throw it out, let it die of exposure. And the church came in and said, no, no, that's the image of God over there. Absolutely not. That, that baby is born in the image of God. It meant that they were for sex, only inside of marriage. If you know anything about t- temples in this day, you would have known that's countercultural. cultural It meant they empowered women in ways that were simply unthinkable in the rest of society. It meant they were radically for the poor. They, they gave to the poor in ways that really, that no other culture did, certainly not Romans or Greeks. They brought races and classes together in ways that were scandalous, right? Jew and Gentile coming together inside one body, rich and poor, treating each other with equal dignity. This simply did not happen in the ancient world. They were radically exclusive. Christ is the only way to salvation. And they were radically inclusive. Anyone and everyone can come to him regardless of race, gender, or economic status. This was unheard of in the ancient world. The ancient world had never seen a group of people like this. They had never seen a group of people who simply could not be confined to a particular political or cultural camp. A group that did not, if I could bring it into modern language, a group that simply did not fit wholesale either right or left. A group whose values force them to press in and say, I, I agree with this over here, but I'm going to challenge this over here. And I agree with this over here, and I'm challenging this over here. We, we've, got, we, we, we've got rich and robust biblical views of human sexuality, and we've got a rich and robust Bible that says, I'm, I'm here to be an agent of justice for the oppressed. I'm going to care about the vulnerable and the poor. Mm. Sojourn. Sojourn if ever the world needs if ever the world needs to see this in a community it's right now if ever our world and our neighbors need to see this this kind of community this kind of radically countercultural community it's right now it's right now if ever they need to see a community who doesn't simply line up with the right or the left whose identity is in I am right or I am left, and so I yell and shout at the people I disagree with, it's right now. It's right now. So you are that community. We are that community. We, we are this community where the, the the gap between man and God, And not just us, but the Church of Jesus in Houston, we are. We are that place, that people, where you don't have to go to a building, but you step into a community, and the gap between man and God is closed. Then you can come in, and you can experience and taste the presence of God. You can taste that the Lord is good. You can taste his grace inside a people. And we're a community that can build our life on the foundation of Jesus. You can build your life on the foundation that is Jesus, the cornerstone that does not wobble. Listen, your career, your marriage, your family, all of that can teeter, not Jesus. When, when he is the foundation that's underneath that, it's not going to go anywhere. And we can hold values on the right and reject others and hold values on the left and reject others. Others, if ever the world needs to see you look like an alien, it's now. Sojourn, we are aliens in the world. A peculiar people out in the world. And why is it so important? Why is it so important? Because in the words of Peter, so that our neighbors might see your good deeds and glorify God. It is a wonderful calling that we have here, Sojourn to be a community that fills the gap between heaven and earth, God and humanity for our neighbors. And listen, a pandemic being limited to worshiping online does not stop that, full stop. Does not bring that to an end. Does not bring that to an end. Listen, our, our parishes, our, our, our groups of men, women, and children with, with as much limitation as there is on us right now, are still communities, are still groups of people, where heaven and earth meet, where the gap between God and man closed, where you get to go and we go in and we can experience the presence of God, where our neighbors can come in, peek in, and see and taste and know that, oh, maybe their God is good. I want that God. May that be us, Sojourn. May that be us. Let me pray. Father, help us to be this kind of community, this kind of community that puts off and gets rid of the things that destroy a community and craves what builds it up so we can have our foundation build more and more on the cornerstone, the foundation of Jesus. And we can be that temple that is an outward-facing temple in the world to say to our neighbors, come in, come, taste and see and oh, that the Lord is good, that we can look at one another and live life with one another, knowing that you are good. Help us to be that kind of people. Help us to live like that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Love you, Sojourn.